Welcome to Shore Street Presbyterian Church Podcasts. You are listening to the Moore Conference 2020, arousing the church to awaken a nation. Good afternoon. And, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, it's just great to be upstairs with, having a cup of tea. And uh, everything happens over a cup of tea, doesn't it? And um, just loved being in the last session. And this session probably won't sound that like the last session. So, uh, um, um, but, but there's a lot in my heart. And uh, I feel like um, that, that vision of more um, to fill, flood, and renew and refresh each of us, that's God's heart that his people will be, will be refreshed so that we can go out and bring something that's fresh and uh, releasing a river of God's love. That word releasing is a big word in our church um, as Liberty Church is that we, we believe that when God gives us something that we've, we have to release it. You know, like Ezekiel up on the mountain, he, he didn't say, when God said to him, speak and prophesy, you know, to these bones, he didn't pray anymore. He spoke, he declared, he decreed what God has said. And a number of years ago, the Lord says to me that, no, my word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. That when you hear God, you release what God is saying. And, and our prayer life as a church, it's just taken a whole different dimension um, in, in that. And, um, and for the reason of, of um, a river flowing, of God's love, because we're nothing without love, are we? We're just clanging symbols of, we haven't got the love of God in everything that we do. And then for our community and into the nation, and into the nations. And um, I'm going to give you some of my context because I think it will help um, with some of the things that I'm going to speak from, from Nehemiah. The scripture um, that uh, I, I, I love this scripture about Jesus always describing what the kingdom of God is like. And he says it's like a mustard seed and that when it's planted it grows into something that everyone can take shelter in, birds can live in of all natures. And, and that's the stepping out. It's stepping out our life, our work, our, the ideas, the creativity of God that what he would give you to do because he hasn't run out of creativity we know that don't we and he has creative ways to reach individuals and communities and cities and nations and uh, and if we tap into that in faith in God I want to be I want my life to be a seed that can be planted in the ground so that my life matters that birds can take um, rest in in, 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 the, in the in the in the trees and whatever God gives you a prayer a song a word a scripture a, 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 a declaration over it's like a, it's like a, the kingdom it's like a little seed. Isn't it incredible that he doesn't say it's like a forest? It's like a little seed, any of us can have it. It's like it's not just for superstars or megastars. A child can have the seed and if you sow it into the kingdom, God can make something incredible out of that. And then, and there's a, just a few points from Nehemiah that we will talk about after I tell you. Our context, the reason I'm telling you my context, because some of it will make sense um, of who I am and what we're about. And also that um, if God can use this little fella, he can use anybody. And also, that there's no place too hard for Jesus to reach. There's no class of people, background of people that Jesus cannot reach. And there's no one he does not want to reach. That his heart is that none shall perish. That all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and so, like, I'm one of 14 kids. And the uh, second youngest came last on, second last on the food chain. And um, so, uh, yeah, my mom had 10 boys and four girls. And uh, grew up with solid mom and dad, thank God. And, uh, but 
were still lived in a community called Dolphins Barn, which is in the south inner city of Dublin, and, uh, and that was a crazy place. And, uh, and my mom had two best friends, would you believe it? Uh, Miss O'Brien had 13 kids, and Miss Rogers had 17 kids. And um, so you can imagine if our families walked into a church, that's revival after hitting <laughs> that church there and then. And, um, and like we hadn't got a lot going for us in, in, in the community in regards to, to education or employment or amenities or whatever, but we had community. And uh, like I, I remember as a kid, every Wednesday, my mom would march a few of us around to Miss Rogers, who had 17 kids in the next block. We lived in the flat complex, and we'd have a stew every Wednesday. And then Miss, Miss O'Brien, they had a washing machine between them. And uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, my mom would have it, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Miss O'Brien would have it, and they didn't wash on a Sunday. And that many kids, all the clothes built up again, and work started all over again. And, and, and it's funny, like when I came to church, the one thing that, I, 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 that stands out more than anything, whether it's there, it stands out, or if it's not there, it stands out. It's community, people in it together, because that's what we are. We're in this together. If you succeed, we all succeed. If one weeps, we all weep. If one celebrates, we all celebrate, because we're connected, we're a body. And, uh, and I've learned that from growing up in that community. And, 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 and there was things going on, there was small criminal stuff going on in that community, etc. But in 1979, written, well written about, well documented on RT and other stations, a family in our community um, went to England to rob a bank. And uh, they were good, upstanding members of our community. And uh, they went over to England and they robbed the bank with a gang. And instead of getting paid with money, they got paid with heroin. And they brought heroin back to our community. This family introduced heroin to Ireland. But it started in this little complex uh, where we got the first brunt of this river, not of life or of love or joy, but of evil that swept through our community. And every young person, 13, 14, 15, and up was swept in that had no awareness of what was going on because we had no education. There was no, nobody knew what it was to be addicted to, to, to my, one of my brothers, 15 years of age, became a heroin addict. He thought he had the flu and, uh, and he went down to someone and the term for addiction was strung out, you're strung out. And uh, he went down and he said to his friend, I just feel like I have the flu the last couple of days. And he says, you're strung out. You need to go and get more heroin. And he took more heroin. And that was, that was the end of the pains. But it was also the end of his life, really. Three brothers ended up on heroin. Three of them are dead today. They paid with a price. They had young families, everything. But, but heroin killed them as a result of contracting HIV AIDS, as a result of using dirty needles. But they're three of probably 500 people that I grew up with that are dead that are gone, and so the complex, this family brought this in, and the, the whole place was crazy. The government didn't know what to do with it. Um, uh, social service didn't know what to do with it. Hospitals didn't know what to do with this. It was like new. Then when, when our people started dying of HIV AIDS, um, Rock Hudson, if anyone remembers that movie star, died, he was on television. I remember seeing it on the news, and he was just a, a skeletal of himself. And it was like when he died, we're in days, our young people were getting diagnosed with this. It was like, like that, that's my memory of it. And they didn't know what was going on. They were, they were when, if some of them were in prison, they were taking ourselves and thrown down into a basement with, with men in white, white uh, overalls and masks because no one knew how you caught this disease. And so they were full of anger. And, you know, it was like they were told you were going to die. So they didn't care about anymore. They didn't care about rules, regulations, what's going to happen. What are you going to do to me? I'm going to die. So, like, the level of violence and robberies and everything went like through the roof in that area and um, and and in the midst of all of that like I, I couldn't tell you how many funerals I've gone to of young people in, in my in young people my age and a bit older and there uh, but I know with this I've went to hundreds 
I've stood at gravesides with mothers who have buried one of my best friend's family. Five of them died as a result of this. And, and uh, if, I, if I hear, you know that song, Wind Beneath My Wings? That's what they played at every funeral back then. I'm like, please don't play that song. I want to run for the hills when I hear that song. It's like, it just triggers off all types of memories and pains and whatever. And it's like, we were a singing community. When we were growing up, like, I don't know, like, I'm sure it's similar. Like, I remember as a kid, the girls would play with tennis balls against the wall, and they had all these songs that they'd sing. When they're playing skipping, the girls would have songs that they sing. When they, when they were on swings on the poles going around, they have songs that they sing. You know, when you go off to Butlins, we were brought to Butlins from the flats one time, and we got barred. For the first year, we got barred, and then because there was nothing left in Butlins when we were finished. And then, like, we were told, because our parents was paying in money every week to the committee that everything in Butlins is free, meaning the rides, the swimming pool. But we were told everything's free in Butlins, so we took everything that was there. Uh, kids and all. The next year, there had to be a diplomatic envoy sent down to get us back in the following year. And then, and we done them songs, them national songs. Of every, everywhere we go, people always ask us. And you know all that? Do you, ever, do you know that one? Do you ever throw your granny off the bus, give her a push? And, uh, and they'd be all sung all the way up and all the way back. And during them summers, like the committee also, one of the nights, our moms and dads would get dressed up and uh, to be brought to Port Marnock Golf Club for the dinner dance. And when they came back, it was in the summer months, they'd come back and they'd be singing like Strangers in the Night or My Way or something. And it was a singing community. And I, I remember if there was a man, a, Roman, a Romanian gypsy man, every Sunday the flats were in blocks like U-shaped blocks, U-shaped blocks. And this Roman gypsy man would come around every Sunday afternoon and sing opera songs up to the balconies. And the women would throw tempens down. And, and he was a genius because he knew how to sing while at the same time keeping all of us away from his money type of thing, you know? And, um, and when heroin came in, the singing stopped. The only songs that we were singing now were ones at funerals. The, the, the buttons wasn't happening. The dinner dances wasn't happening because them kids, if, those, if our people were now selling drugs and were at wars and families broke up and, and all types of things. And where, where was God in the midst of in, in, in all that gloom and doom and disaster? And uh, right where he's always been, right there. Just, we weren't looking for him. We didn't want him. He's always there. He's the God of being there. And my brothers that were on heroin, my community, I made a promise years prior that I'd never go near drugs. And when I was 18, me and my wife, who's my wife now, but when we were 16, we had a baby girl. And when I was 18, I started taking drugs, things that I thought I'd never, ever do, never, ever think of. Now I, I, I was in that group, in that place of shame, guilt, and, and all that stuff, and not being able to fulfill like what, what, what I always desired. Was, all I definitely desired was to be as a good father. Would you believe it? That was my, that was my ambition, that I'd be a great dad to my kids. And, and, uh, but I, I wasn't capable. I, I wasn't a beast, but I just was locked in my own little world, in my own selfishness, and, and locked away in a room, which you believe I'm listening to music all the time dead people singing music to me like just brought death after death after death after death into your thinking and whatever and my friend who I started to take drugs with he went missing somewhere and came back someone told him the gospel the power of God unto salvation were we did we go to church no we didn't we went when we were kids or at funerals or communion time or confirmation when you were a kid and growing up in the Catholic church but God wasn't real to us God that was just a religion to us that had no power and my friend came back, not a minister, not a priest, not a pastor, not a famous evangelist. Mick Finley's name was, Finno Finley, my best friend, um, who we started taking drugs together, went missing, came back. Jesus is real. 
Jesus is real. And we're like, what's after happening to McFinley? Look what drugs is after doing to him. He thinks God is real. And, but you can never argue with transformed life. You can argue religion, theology. There's been enough of arguments around it. But when you see someone's life that was in darkness, now that's in light. There's no one can argue with that. That's, that's the spark. And within a short space of time, he gave me a, he gave me a tape. I love singing. I love listening to music. He gave me a tape of a young man singing from Dublin called Terry Arnold. Three songs on a tape. Last song was called Man of Sorrow, speaking about Jesus going to the cross. He says this in the song. Last words, like a lamb, they laid him out and not a word came from his mouth. And he cried out from the hill of Calvary. And I hear these words and I started crying. And I'm like, Shane, what's going on with me? It's only me and Sharon in the, in the little flat that we had. And, and I rewound again it's like the same words like a lamb they let him out not a word came from his mouth and he called cries out from the hill of calvary and i don't know what i heard in my head and my ears and my heart but i hear god saying i love you and all i went to a cross for you and i couldn't stop crying i was bawling crying and Sharon was looking at me like what's wrong with him now like he's crying and and uh, but my head was like she's gonna think you're an idiot if your brothers find out you are crying you're dead if your sisters find out you're really dead and and they uh, all my head was fighting but I had no barrier to this love a pure unadulterated love that was being poured into my heart that was like a, a Friday or a Saturday Tuesday the 22nd of March with the tape Mick gave me two, ta- two tickets to go and hear a man called Reinhard Bonke a German of Angeles went down to the National Stadium Tuesday 22nd of March 1989 at 9.40 me and Sharon stand up the front giving our hearts to Jesus and from that moment on we were going out the door and I said Sharon we need to tell everybody this but Sharon goes tell them what she's the brains tell them what now I'm like we didn't know the Bible we'd never been to church we didn't we didn't know and I says, I don't know, but I just know we need to tell. We can't keep this to ourselves. And then um, within a short space of time, 40 of us in that same complex became believers. Like, like a fire. That's, that's what you need to believe for. A fire that God will just come because he's no, he doesn't, He's not interested in like, oh, well, I can touch them down there, but I can't touch them over here. Or, or they have it all together and they don't. Therefore, I can't. They're immune to the gospel. They're, no, you, you stand and believe that God wants to do it in my town, in my family, in my community. And, and, and he will do it. And we've seen like no one knew what. They didn't know what to do with heroin. They didn't know what to do with HIV AIDS. And they didn't know what to do with 40 young men and women walking around talking about Jesus. It was like a summer of eternal good weather. And like every pockets of us everywhere with different groups of people that we hung out with, sitting down, telling them what Jesus said in the Bible. It was like, it was a dream. Like that's how far removed from America, but no one knew what to do with them, to do with this. And like, like other things, that was an escape. Like all of our friends, either some of them fell back into old lifestyles. Some got connected into churches, which we did. And some moved out of the area. And before we knew it. Everybody was gone that was Christians from our area because Jesus was a way out of that madness. And I wanted to get out. Who wants to open up the door? We lived on the ground floor, me and Sharon. We had a little girl, Patrice, and we got married and we had three other little girls. So our little, our little family was grown and, and you look out the window and there's kids roaming around. The government said about the kids of our flats that they're going to explode all over society with anger because they don't know what's happened. Where's mommy? She died of AIDS. Where's daddy? He died of AIDS. They didn't know. Who wants to open up the door and see these faces? And I didn't. And I wanted to be like the rest. I wanted, I don't know, to become some type of middle-class Christian in some church somewhere. And God says, I want you to stay. So we stayed. 
You love the kids. You reach out to the kids. You, the ones that are lepers, let me, come on, we do something about it. That's why Luke chapter five, come on, we do something about it. The leper coming to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing. No, I am willing. That's, that's what I got out of. I was on the floor crying, weeping when I opened my Bible on Luke five because I was reading Luke four that morning and I opened it up saying, God, you must want to do something about this. And Luke five, he says, come on, we do something about it. Here's what it is about stepping up and stepping out in your community. Partnering with God. What is God doing? Where is the Lord moving within your town and your community that you can just partner with God? It's not like you have to come up with this great idea. He, he just, like our story has been, we've, we've started five churches. Our story has been, the first one of them was planned, the other four was just, we fell into it. We were like, we just follow Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. He'll get you into your destiny. You just keep loving him. He'll sort out the plan. You just keep walking with him. And we've started them churches. And people go, no, you must have having a great plan. No. My plan was to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul. And just happy to be walking with, with, with Jesus in the area. So we started kids clubs. What can we do in our community? We started, that's what we've done. You love them now. Okay, so we opened up our little flat, 12 by 13. Sharon had cream, Lino. It was winter. We had 70 kids in our first meeting. And uh, when they went, it was like a cattle mart. <laughs> right in the, uh, if a kid needed to go to the bathroom, they had to step over another 60 kids to get to the little toilet in their flat. When they all went, there was all markers on the wall because we'd done a colouring with them. And uh, Sharon goes, oh, I don't know about this now. I don't know. <laughs> Look at me. We li- I told you we lived on the ground floor. Friday Club, we called it a Friday Club. We wanted to call it all type of holy names, but it was only just ever known as the Friday Club. And uh, we've had thousands come through that. 14 years every Friday, never missed a Friday because those kids didn't need anyone inconsistent in their life. They needed consistency, consistent love because people were gone all around them. We says, we, we will never not have it on a Friday. And then um, first Friday, cotton mart, wallpaper. Sharon said, I don't know about this. No, maybe we rent the community centre or whatever. And uh, what am I going to say? It's our nest. It's, it's right in there. Next morning we woke up. Remember I told you about the singing? We learned the kids a song the first Friday called, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. I, you know, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I'll make his faithfulness known. Through all generations, throughout each and every nation, I will sing of the Lord's great love. So for Saturday morning, the dead, nine o'clock in the morning, the whole flats are asleep. We live on the ground floor. We woke up to kids playing skipping. I will sing of the Lord's great love. A song had entered in, a song that had life and light again. With my mouth, I will make, to all generations, I'll, I'll sing the Lord. And Sharon says, no, we can change the line now. We can change the wallpaper. We can do whatever. That, that, that's, that was a new day. That was a new dawn in air flats. The song was released again. That, was, that had life. It was now something. And it was kids now singing that. No, God does love us. There is a hope. There is a future. He has a plan for my life. Not just for my life, but to also bless my community. That's our message. That was our message from the beginning. He loves you. He, 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 want, he has a plan for you. And he wants to use you to bless other people. That's the conference. That's your conference. That's what, you're, that's what you've tapped into as a church, the exact same thing. But here's the thing. We have a God who wants to do the same. We have a God who's like, yeah, if you step, it's all about stepping out. It's all about, look, ask Peter, Lord, can I walk on water? Yeah, come on, son. You never know what it's like to see the kingdom of God unless we just take that beautiful risk, which is not really a risk in the end. 
And like, and this is what this is probably our first steps, and then um, to give some things to, to hang this on. So you know my context, and then um, I just shared all that. Like we, like I was telling last time, the Methodist Church says to me, Noah, um, can you give us a testimony for someone from the, your church to where? Uh, we've people from all walks of life, but we've seemed to have reached a huge amount of people that are. That like come from worlds that I don't know, and hopefully you don't know of gangsterism, machine guns, and drug selling, and all types of stuff that comes with that that, that lifestyle. And uh, she and her point was: Easter Sunday, she wanted she asked me for someone to speak, and she was give us your baddest person. And the reason why she said that was she wanted to show the church that prayer works. Reaching out works, stepping out works, that we can't give up on anybody, whether, like she wanted the baddest and baddest, but they're the testimonies that don't impress us as a church, funny enough, because they're all there. But what we love is someone that stands up and says, I've been a Christian since I'm five. Or I remember giving me heart to Jesus when I was six or seven in bed, and God has kept me from all of this stuff. And that, like, it's not what He just saves you from as regards to saving you from drugs or bank robbing, but it's what He saves you from heartache and brokenness and, and cynicism and, and all that stuff. He said, and, and, and as a church, we're like, the best testimony I've ever heard is not that stuff, it's this stuff. But, but this woman in her church, because like they were from a different part of the city and they were from a different um, background altogether, she wanted to show them like that. doesn't matter who it is. So I says, how about this? I says, like I had a guy that I got, got went, sent down to speak, Paul. I says, what about a scar down his face and two bullet holes in his back? He'll do just fine now. And, uh, and Paul stood there and shared his testimony how God spoke to him in Mount Joy Prison. And, uh, and God saved him. And, 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 and he found out that people were praying for him who he had hung out with. He was an enforcer for a drug dealer who became a Christian who goes to our church about two years later. And uh, he was his enforcer. And, um, and, and, and got into all that lifestyle and whatever. And why am I saying that? There's no one too far from God whether it's the most religious person that doesn't know God or the most extreme violent person that doesn't know God, God's heart and hand is not far from reaching out to them. And Nehemiah says this, in the book of Nehemiah, it says, um, in the month of Kishlev, in first chapter, the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanay, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Then he said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been buried, burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we committed, myself and my father's house. And it's just, this whole area is packed with how we step out. What, what's, the, what's, the, what, what, what's the prequel before we step out into a community? And first of all, when he heard about the disgrace and what was going on, the plight of the people, it's like he, 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 he experienced God's heart for people. He, he, he broke down, he cried. Like, and it, like, it's, it's like, 
If you ask God for the love for people, believe me, you will shed tears for people. And when you shed tears for them, they're yours. Because it's a whole different ball game praying for people that you're praying through, through, through tears. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's decided that he's going to fast and pray. See, you, you, before you tell people about, before you talk to people about God, talk to peop, God about people. So, because like, we, sometimes we want to rush out and tell them all about God, but we haven't talked to God about them. What's your plans for them, Lord? Have you got something to say to them? What's your dream for them, Lord? Can I experience some of your heart for them? And if you ask them, you'll have. You don't have because you don't ask. That's what the Bible says. Ask and you shall receive. Knock on the door shall be open. Seek and you shall find. It's like, Lord, give us. And when you get his, what his heart is for people, it's the most beautiful thing and can change your whole world and how you view people. Like People that we think are are vile in society, he loves them. People that are living lifestyles that are far away from what we read in the scriptures, he loves them. And when we get a bit of his love, we look at them in a different manner. We reach out to them in a different... doesn't mean we agree with any sin. It doesn't mean we, we condone any lifestyle. But like when you're doing it through his heart, and if you ask him, I, I told the last group, my wife would wake up at the, in the beginning of our years, I, my wife would wake up, I'd be on my face, weeping like uncontrollably at times for the people that, from my community. And even though it, was a burden, it wasn't burdensome, it was like he allows you just because God, there's a joy in it because you know he wants to reach them. So it's not like you're going around with a big sackcloth and ashes and a big face on you like nobody wants to be like you. I don't want to go where you're going. You serve Jesus with that face on you. No, I don't want to go there. That there's a joy that comes with the whole thing as well. And, and, and this is what Nehemiah had and it caused them to pray because nothing happens outside of prayer. Nothing of any real value. We can, we can touch certain things. We can, we can touch on things. But those who seek God are diligently rewarded. That you seek him with all your heart, he shall be found by you. He's the God that doesn't want to be just believed in. He's the God who, want, who he wants you and I to experience. He wants us to experience his love, his power, his passion, his grace for people. And when you have that, you're alive. You're a light. You're, a, you're, you're, you're contagious. Your love is contagious. Your compassion, your encouragement, everything works out in, in that manner of, of being in prayer of being in place. You know, the Bible teaches us, this was my, one of my lessons last 2019, that, like, that you and I are the only creatures on the planet that are in two places at once. You're seated here, and you're seated in heavenly places. That's what the Bible teaches. And we know how to do a lot from this realm. And I believe God wants to teach his church how to operate from that realm. What he sees, he allows us to see because we're at the right hand. What he declares over... Donica D in the surrounding areas that we start declaring over them. What he's singing, Seth and I, he sings in songs of rejoicing over you and I. What he, we hear, imagine hearing Father. What's Father's song for Donica D? What's Father's song for you? And then we hear Father singing and then we just resound what he's singing into the earth. I've, I've five grandchildren and my oldest um, grandchild, three that are natural and two that are, it's like abortion powder, three biological and two non-biological. And then... Um, <laughs> I explained that to my oldest biological granddaughter, and she was like, that's weird, no, no. And uh, well, what I've learned, I told you that all I ever wanted to be was a good father, and when I became a Christian, I take my father in really serious, but I do with a lot of joy. And uh, I remember saying, when I experience God's love, that there won't be a day goes by that my wife or my children will never hear me tell them I love them. 
And then when Penny comes along, my granddaughter, you know, grandparents, it's deadly, isn't it? It's like you have people trapped in corners looking at photographs. <laughs> 40 minutes go, boy, when I show you the video, she says, gaga. Oh, yeah, no. But um, every day, Penny, you know, no, no, loves you. And she's little this way. And one day she goes, no, no, I love you. What was she doing resounding what she was hearing? That's what God wants to hear from heaven and resound it into the earth. What you've experienced is what you will, you will resound into the earth. And this is what he was doing with passion. And then his passion, his, his prayer became practical because it's great, as Alvin said earlier, that like we just want Jesus to walk through us into the community. Luke chapter 9, they're going up the Mount of Transfiguration. Or Luke chapter 10, up the Mount of Transfiguration. What does Peter say? Here's the danger. Peter says, I'm going to build a tabernacle for you, Moses, for you, Elijah, and for you, Jesus. And we all just stay up on the mountain. And it says, you read it, it says, but he didn't know what he was talking about. I love it. And uh, why? Because when they went down the other side, there was a little boy in the village that had a demon in them. Do you remember? And he said, Jesus, we asked him and he couldn't do it. As, as Penny says, we're reading through the Gospel of Luke and uh, my daughter, Penny's mom, and Rob, oh, dad, they were reading together. And when she says, I could just, Penny says, I can imagine Jesus going like that, rolling his eyes going, these again, type of thing, not able to do it. It's, it's right that we're refreshed and renewed. But we're refreshed and renewed for a purpose. The experience on the Mount Transfiguration, the glory of God, the transfiguration, shining on the sun, Jesus' clothes wear, and, and the Father speaking. This is my son, in my well please listen to him. And that's enough for a church to camp out for 100 years, as far as I'm concerned. But Jesus says, no, we need to go to the village. There's people that need us. There's a community that needs us. There's a, there's a boy that needs us. There's a, the, and, and it always turns into practical. And just quickly to share some of them things, which is a million things, but some of the things we've got up to over the years, like, like there's kids in our community, like I'm sure in other communities, and they've no fathers. And the church is full of fathers. There's young girls that have no mothers are not able to function as mothers and men not able to function as fathers. And, and so we opened the kids club. That was, you loved them. <laughs> Don't give out about the government, no. Don't give out about the, the lack of services in your community. Love them. And, and I think when Jesus says, you'll always have the poor with you, I think he's saying, look, you'll always have opportunities to love. You'll always have opportunities to express my heart towards people. And, 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 so, and that's what we did. We just started very, very practically of stepping into our community. Where is the needs that we can meet? Or, or, um, or back then, that's like 1989, 1990, I got a, 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 bank, a, a baker, and uh, he said to me, at the end, the business and all come down, I'll give you all the bread that I didn't sell, and you can give them out in your community. It's not about having riches. Sometimes it's about just having a loaf of bread wrapped up in a brown piece of paper or a bag and, and delivering it to people. It's not what's in that, it's what's in the heart that's behind that that, 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 that happens in. And me and my young, me, he was my oldest girl, but she was only five or six at the time. I'd put it on my crossbar on my bike and we'd cycle down the South Circle Road in Dublin, go to the baker, he'd have the stuff, it was left outside for me, I'd put it on my, the back of my bike and we'd go home and we'd parsley and go around giving out bread. It's, it's like, here, God, what can you do with a bit of bread? What can you do with a bit of bed and five loaves, Lord? 
What can you do with five loaves and two fishes, Lord? What could you do with that? I can feed a multitude. I can make this into something that you cannot, but if you give it to me. It's not about all the stuff we have. It's just about what we have, what's the needs. And their needs, I always said to the Lord back then, why do you give me a banker? And at the end of the day, he'd leave a bag of money for me outside, Lord. But anyway, I probably wouldn't have been able to handle the money, but I was able to handle the bread. And that, that, that grows. It's like God gives you, if you're faithful with the little, like this Christmas gone, um, uh, if, you, if, you, if you ask Lorraine and, and uh, Alvin, they'll show you the video that we couldn't show this morning because it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't transfer from phone to phone or whatever. But like, it's, a, it's an aerodrome picture of, in a community centre of 1,500 hampers of uh, enough food for a family of four for five days over the Christmas. 30,000 hot meals we put on plates in inner city Dublin around the areas this year. That started with a couple of pieces of bread. There was 50,000 euro worth of food given out with a church that has no money. I'll show you our bank accounts. We don't have you, but if you step out, God, will, God has a special bank account for the widows and orphans. It's an offshore account. No one can just tap into it, only those who look after the poor and the widows and the orphans. And he just can't hold, he says, when you boil it all down, listen to what it says, that's true religion. Say, wow, well, I want to get into true stuff. And he says, how do you measure this? Because you know why sometimes they don't give you the pat on the back? Sometimes they don't become a, a Christian movie star out of this. It's like, and that's what God says, it boils down to. 1,500 hampers, hand-delivered every one of them into doors. What was it? A slice of bread a couple of, well, 30 years ago is now a field for five days for a family of four. And good works opens up the doors for good news. You know, you don't, you, you don't go to a hungry man and tell him the gospel when he's starving. All he can think about is a slice of bread and a bit of ham. Give him a bit of bread and a lump of ham and I tell you, he's going to listen to everything you say. And not only that, but you change an atmosphere of a community and even of a city by being generous. That's, that's our, our goals. And Nehemiah went around, there's a wall that needs to be fixed. There's a gate that needs to be replaced. And he went around and practically built up something physical that was then going to be manifested into something spiritual that God's blessing would be back on Jerusalem again. And God has a million things and a million ways to do, a million, a million, a million outreaches, a million stepping out. And if we just step up and go, God, here I am. I, I'm nothing. I've, listen, I'm second youngest of 14 kids. Listen, you talk about complexes. You get them when you're that long down the food chain. You know what I mean? You get shoes that's four sizes too big for you, walking around like you're going around with a pair of, pair of flippers on you for swimming. You're like You get all of that stuff and, uh, and, uh, and if God can use it, it's not like about talents and everything. It's just, Lord, here's my heart. Use me, no matter what age you are. I, I was speaking at a Quakers meeting for years when I first became a Christian and uh, I went to the first Quakers meeting. A man called Douglas Lamb. There was four people there. I think they had a combined age of about 600 um, between the four of them. And, um, and like, I, you know, like I was cutting my teeth as preacher and whatever and I remember going in I was disheartened that there was four people there and the Holy Spirit spoke and he says Noel you preach like there's four thousand here son you preach and I preach my heart out like it's tear my story and one woman says Noel uh, Douglas the, the man he was 79 he was 79 um, he created this outreach to people his own age and that's who was there, and, and, and we were getting people to come in and speak. And, uh, and, like, and that was, he's always been my inspiration that this doesn't stop when you get 50 now, or this doesn't stop when you get 60. God will always use you if you keep reaching out to the people that need him. And, uh, and he told me about an aunt of his that was in uh, India somewhere. Like, and she was like a, a, a relation, I don't know what he's saying, a relation that was in India, 78 years of age. He says, no, we just sent her over a new bicycle. She was still going around villages on a bicycle, giving out tracks. 
And I'm like, Lord, I can do this forever. I was only 23 at the time. I can do this forever. Like, if I don't care if I end up anywhere, I can do this forever. That it's never, it doesn't matter about age. It's just a matter about here I am, Lord. Will you use me? And I believe, look, I don't know anyone in this church, being honest. Like, but I know when I walk into an environment of people that want God and want what he wants. And Susan would tell you upstairs, I said, would you adopt me? That's what I said to her, would you use it? When these were all eating, I was like, would you ask this church to adopt me? God, I could feel something here of God's heart be. And, 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 and that's, that's not everywhere, guys. And I tell you that, I preach all the time. It's not everywhere. Sometimes it's like resurrecting the dead just to get a smile. It's like, like God has left the universe. It's like, like, but this is not here. There's a vibrancy about you guys. There's an, an expectation of the things of God. Like, so we, last year, um, practicalities about prayer. We said, Do you know, there's more. You know, what was the man, Jimmy Cricket from Belfast? That was his thing. There's more. And, uh, and when you get more, it makes you hungry for more. Because you're tapping into an everlasting father that all of his ways there, even when we, if we were here a million years, he still has a billion, billion years of creativity to reach out to people. And, uh, and if we just tap in, and it's here, I, I kid you not, may I, as, as Sam says, may my tongue be stuck to my palate if I'm just saying this because that's what preachers do or speakers do. I can feel it. It's here. And if you want more, you can have more. Last year, what I was going to tell you was, me and my son-in-law, we says, we want more. <laughs> and we said, we're going to pray every morning, five mornings a week, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. We'll enter each other's house at 6 o'clock, have a cup of tea. You know, that's what we're all going to do when we get to heaven, have a cup of tea. And, um, <laughs> and we just worship, not even praying. We, we, we say prayer because that's what everyone understands, but we just put on an hour and a half of worship. And it says, you know, for the week, that was great. You know, then it kicks into like, well, getting up a quarter to six every morning is new. And uh, it's a year long now. January, this has been the January. Five mornings a week. And uh, I'm telling you, I've experienced God in 2019. It seems like I've never experienced God before. Paul says that the glory... Um, today's glory makes last year's or yesterday's glory looks like, look like no glory at all. At all. That like if you step in to seek him, he makes, because I say, was I not seeking God before? Was I not hearing God before? But compared to this last year, it's like I wasn't. And all he's waiting is for us to go, Lord, here I am. He gave me a mandate for the church. Anyone that wants to hear, let them hear. I'll, I'll, I'll relieve every pastor of every problem that they can ever have as in, the, as a, in a pastoral sense. Said, no, tell the church. Listen to them. Listen to the people. Encourage the people. Or in the end, you point them to me. That was my mandate. Don't draw them to you because you're not the fountain of all wisdom and love and knowledge and grace and power. You're a signpost. That's, all, that's what we're supposed to be. Go home. Get in your room. Doesn't matter what time. Put on some worship, take out the word, say, God, here I am. And he says to me, if my people will do that, I will meet them. I will meet them there. And that's been my, and you know when people come back to me in church? Of course I love my people. Have you gone to be with Jesus? He's far greater than me. Oh, I'm not fit to tie his laces. 
And those who've gone, they've met with God in some way or another. And God has met them and transformation comes. And when you're with God, what do you get? His heart. And his heart is for his bride, obviously, and for those who he wants to be part of the bride. And that's what I believe Nehemiah done. And, and, and all of that turns out into all types of stuff that you... Like last year was my most adventurous year. In, I, 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 for instance, one of the nights... How can I say this? One of the nights... So I go over to my son-in-law's one morning. He comes over to my house. We live about 20 minutes apart. But at that time of the morning, it's, it's no time getting to each other's house. And then... Um, You know when you can have a thought that can bring you away from the presence of God? Sinful thought, wrong thought. I was, what was it, contemplating or toying around and as soon as I had them thoughts and as soon as I bought into it, I felt this weight of condemnation in my heart which can either bring you, should send us to God or it can bring us far away from his, farther away from his presence. So it was one of them, one of them nights and and I also got a pain in my tooth. So I texted my son-in-law, don't come over in the morning for prayer. And in the end, what I was doing was accommodating how I felt. And I wakes up at quarter to six, like normal every morning, and uh, I felt the Lord say to me, get up and pray now. And I went downstairs. So my son-in-law would have been normally there, but he wasn't there because I told him not to come. And I went down and I, uh, I have this blanket that I put around me. It's like a, it's not like a prayer shawl around, I just put it because the house is gold, but it's become something, you know? And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm lying on my face and I have the blanket over me and, and uh, the way to deal with condemnation is just to connect with God the Father. Like, not when we're, like I've learned, it doesn't matter, everyone wants to do it when we're high and but when you're full of guilt and condemnation, drag yourself in and say, Dad, Father, here I am. And I lie down on my thing like this and just accept his love because um, what I do cannot change who he is. No matter, I can never change who he is. So I just believe in who he is all the time. And anyway, it was a rotten old day. It was like a sluggish day of, you know, you know it, was like it wasn't a great prayer thing. I was just receiving, in a sense, like just getting back right and in the space that I'd been operating in. And um, So anyway, the next morning, I made my son, my son-in-law's house. So I said, Rob, look, I need to confess this to you because the Bible says if you confess your sins to one another, you're healed. It's never, it's never a thing, you know. And I said, this is the way it was. And it was fleshly. And I, was, and I was using the word, it was sinful. And da, da, da. But during that day, I felt the Lord say to me that what you're doing seeking my face is no small thing. So I said all that to Rob the next day and I says, but Rob, the Lord says what we're doing every morning is no small thing. So I sat down, which I normally don't. I, I'm a man, I don't know about how you pray, but I love to walk up and down, doing this with my hand for some reason. I don't know what that means. And, um, and the Lord at the beginning of last year says, I want you to sit down before you ever stand up. And I was like, what, why? Because you're seated in heavenly places. You're seated in the finished work of Jesus. You're seated in victory. You're seated in rest. Don't do everything to, 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 to strive towards rest. Move from rest. If you're going to strive, strive to rest. That's what Paul says. And that was new to me. I was like, wow, that was, that's cool. So it's like, it's like starting off from the winner's, winner's post. So you're not going in to look for victory. You're coming from the victory that Jesus has won. I was like, so everything starts from there since last, last year. So after I said that to Rob, I sat down, we put on worship, and I stood up. And as I stood up, I said about adventures in praying. 
after I stood up, I had a pain in my stomach, which was a weird pain. It was hollow. I felt empty. And it was an aching. It wasn't like a muscle pain. It was just this aching, like a longing. And I stood up and I went, wow, that's not mine. It wasn't mine. I said, Lord, that's not, that's not my pain. I don't have that. I don't feel it. It was like God gave me... Oh, I, I call it like, like what the Bible describes as a word of knowledge. I was feeling something, you know, knowledge about something that wasn't natural. And I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me, you know, what you feel is the ache that the LGBTQ community wakes up with every morning. Because they've bought into a lie that doesn't fulfill the need of the longing of the, of the human. And I said it to my son-in-law, and I started crying for the people of the LBGTQ, BBC, I don't know what it is now, uh, community, like every one of them was my own child. And I prayed and I wept and prayed and wept. And then I was gone. The feeling was gone. I was like, you know, you think I was going to start a, a ministry to something, or, but it was like, can I tell you, when you feel God's heart for people, you can pray people into the kingdom of God from a distance. Because it's not, distance doesn't matter. And if we seek God, and if anything, I could encourage you, because listen, I've listened to some of you guys up there. There's more to be done, but you're doing a lot more than you think you are. The stories that you have of each other and what God is doing, the community, the food bank, prayer walking, people seeing two people, two people walking and someone seeing 12 people. And that one of the stories that I was told earlier on, that like, like angels walking with you as walking around the community. It's, it's like, it's, it, it gets, the, what's physical can be manifest into the, into the spiritual. And it's like we do something physical, but it has a spiritual dimension to it that can cause an atmosphere to be changed. And I may, like Reinhard Bonnke, who was one of my heroes, who just went to be with the Lord. And he used to always say, um, Africa shall be saved. And he made this declaration over Africa. And it's the most Christianized country. Like, you know, that in China is probably, you know, but may Donegate be saved, amen. And the people who go and put their for even prayer, not even prayer walking, prayer walking, getting, getting assignments from God and going out there. Quick story, like, let me have a question. My friend who is now a pastor of a church, he, he, he came from, he was a Dublin guy, lived in Cork, came up came to our church, he walks in the door, the Lord gave me a word for him. He says, the Lord says, no, the prophet has come out of the cave. You know, in, the, in the Elijah, when Jehazi said, no, there's prophets in caves that I'm feeding. And the Lord says to me, behold, a prophet from a cave has come out. And I says to him, right, I knew him from years ago, but didn't know him in the last 20 years. And I said, I knew he was, Sean. The Lord told me that you're a prophet has come out of a cave. He'd spent eight years. He went through a loss of a business. He went through cancer. He thought everything was finished. And that morning, God activated. Like this man who was the craziest person I know in the kingdom, right? And the crazy, I mean this, that like you could be talking to Sean on the phone. And he'd go, um, brother, the glory of God is real. And next you hear, do you want sugar with that, love? And I go, where are you, Sean? He goes, oh, in Starbucks or something. You know, like, he's, he's, he's excited about Jesus, whether he's at the pulpit or whether he's, you know what I mean? And that consistency. And he comes over one day, and uh, I'm a great believer in, as Paul says, the, the foundational stones, not the cornerstone, but the foundation of the church is apostolic and prophetic, and he's very prophetic, and I'm very apostolic. And he rings me and says, brother, the Lord wants us to go down to the city gates and pray. Would you come down with me? I says, yeah. So he comes over, and then... Um, 
to the house and, and we go down and uh, there's a few incidents before that, but we're trying to get to the end of the story. And we goes down to the city gates in Dublin, which is at Christchurch, which is, which is in our community, up from Christchurch. And there's the oldest gate there right now, like is there since 12 something, you know, it's like 1200 years old or something. And there's a big old Roth Arden gate in there. So we goes down, as we're getting out of the car, Sean takes out a chauffeur, you know, like the, the bugle or the thing that they use in the Old Testament to welcome the thing of God or to announce war or, or you know, whatever. And I, I look at it and I go, yeah, yeah. anyway, we go down and um, we go down to the city gates. And Sean had a word, Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, swing wide everlasting doors, so that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. And so anyway, we go down and so we're starting to pray. And, and I'm like, I'm saying the prayer like this, I'm praying, and um, but not Sean. Sean is not like going to be praying. Like, he's like Shakespearean actor, you know? And he goes, lift up your head, O ye gates, you know? And uh, swing wide, you everlasting doors, so that the king of glory came in, couldn't come in. Who is this king of glory? From inside the gate, a voice comes, I'm the king of glory. Oh, I am. And uh, we looked in, there was a, a drug addict who was with two other people that were, you know, drinking or taking drugs, just up from them. And um, so I look in, I go to Sean, I'll handle this, because he could also have a sword, for all I know, this guy, <laughs> Sean, you know, cut off his ear or something. And uh, I said, I'll handle this. So I walked to him, I said, uh, what's the story? You know, like, just Dublin talking. And he goes, what are you doing? I says, he says, what are you, what are you doing? And then he's coursing all. I says, what's your name? He says, Darren. I says, Darren, you need a miracle, don't you? He goes, yeah, I do. Now, there's a big gate between us, like there's all these square, like, and things. And uh, I says, when I finish here, you're going to have a miracle. And he looks at the other two and he goes, this is serious, you know, like, and, uh, and he's standing there. And then I, for this stage, for some reason, I have the shofar in my hand. And he goes, what's that? And I says, well, that's a ram's horn from Israel that they used to do in Israel when they were going into war or announcing the king or whatever like that. And he's like, what? And he started making all these remarks about this thing, right? And I said, Darren, the miracle. Yeah, the miracle, right? So Sean gets the chauffeur. Lift up your head, oh, you gates. Swing wide, you everlasting doors. But he has to, and he's like, <laughs> right? And this guy is like this. He looked, I remember one stage he looked at the can of beer in his hand, like, is this for real? Like, type of thing. And then swing, so the king of glory, make him <laughs> Who is this king of glory? And before, now, I know you opened my eyes at this stage. Sean is like six foot off, but he was down like this, and the front part of the chauffeur was right at this guy's stomach. And like, it was like, every time he blew, I know you opened my eyes for the last one, I don't know every time, but the last, I looked, and it was like this life. This guy, tears were standing, and he turns around, and he says to the girl that was up there, hey, what they're doing can get you off heroin. Now, we never mentioned heroin. We never, but there was something that he was receiving from the kingdom of God. And we felt at the beginning when he says, when we said, who is the king of glory? It was nearly like, it was nearly like Satan himself saying, I'm the king of this city. I'm the one that rules and reigns. And I'm going to show you my paraphernalia. I rob lives. I rob futures. I, and they were standing in front of us. It was like a declaration from the enemy. And next minute, then your man says to the girl, this, this can get you off heroin. And Sean done the lot, tears in his eyes. And he looks at us and he goes, I now have hope. We never said anything. That was this miracle. Walking away. I now have hope. And me and Sean went and had a game of snooker. And all through the game of snooker, the magnitude of what happened. It was like, is that me? That couldn't be me. The magnitude of what God was doing in that moment. And what we were declaring over our city, that as a king called Jesus, 
He was coming in. That man, Sean, you look at the papers from Dublin. There was a young boy chopped up at 17 years of age this week because of drug dealing. His head was chopped off. His arms was chopped off. His legs. Even 17 years of age. My friend, Sean, that's where I sent him out. He has a church in the middle of that. You know what he says to me the other day? God has given me a staff as a shepherd. I have to walk around Kulak. That's where this place was, declaring that Jesus is the shepherd of Kulak. And I tell you, it's them adventures that shuts the devil up. Like I spoke to the pastors of our city the other day and I said, guys, we're not praying. But the pastors have not been praying together. And I'm like, we're not praying. And the enemy thinks he can just walk in now and chop our teenagers up. Sean told me, he's over there. There's people from that community in his church. And he says, no, mothers went, were told by the police to get their children out of school the next day. Because when it, it, it used to be getting killed at 30, used to be getting shot at 20. Now they went into teenagers. And the only thing left is children. And it's like, so this is important, serious stuff that looks like, dear, dear, but we were declaring that our city belongs to God. And Sean, Sean said, no, I'm going to walk around uh, Kulak with the staff because God told me that, that God is the shepherd. And, let, and we have to declare that God is the shepherd so God can become the shepherd of the people. And I'm like, Sean, I'm with you because I know I was there at the city gates. I know what was declared. And God may put a prayer in your heart or a song in your heart over Donegadee. Whatever is going on, God can give you something that can shift an atmosphere. Sean told me just on Tuesday evening, he rang me Wednesday morning, he says, Noel, 10 people from Kulak, this is where this place, this all happened. Ten people came to his meeting that night. Six of them became Christians. Three of them got filled with the Holy Spirit and are going back into their own community. Because I tell you what, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that people in the newspaper will focus on that stuff. And it's right because it's horrible and evil and devilish. But on the other hand, God is at work and he's at work in Donica D. And I believe he's found the people that will say, God, here I am, I'll go with you. You lead me, you show me. I pray, I believe this about our church. They were all my heart about our people. If we believe it, it's God, we'll do it. That's what that's it's like. Even if we get a whisper, it could be God, we, we step out. That's the people that I walk with. Sometimes we get it wrong, sometimes we miss it, but there's a willingness to go, Lord, if you just say it, we're there in, in, in any way, whatever it's cost to us, whatever it's cost to our time, whatever it's cost to our finances, if we believe it's you, we'll do it. And every time we've stepped out and God has met us, we have seen. Like we have a missionary couple from our church in Africa, that like we're after building four houses, three bed houses. We've 13 children in that are orphans into these houses. That like we're paying, an inner city church are paying the pastors, two pastors. We've six on staff over there, including their two missionaries. We've no backing coming in from any organization, nothing. And this little church, this little, little people, we don't have doctors in our place. We've ex-bank robbers and drug dealers and drug addicts. And these people give an L of that little. We're able to support that. And you know, I says, you know, we've we done that because God led us there. But on the side note that I think God is saying, this is what I believe, if they can do it then, guys, we can all do it. I think somehow he wants to use us as the, you know, what's that word that um, in Corinthians around? He takes the little things of this world or the despised things and shows, no, look at it. But the encouragement is that if he can use us, if he can use me, he can use any of us. So can we pray? And you can ask a question, but if I can pray, um, Father, we love you. We thank you. We want you. We deserve what you want for Donica D and for this land and this community and this province and the nation and the country of Ireland and Europe, Lord, the world. 
We want what you want, Lord. We thank you that Jesus is the yes to every promise of God. I believe this, that God is looking for the amen on the earth to the promise that Jesus makes the yes to. I keep trying to, just in our church, just being more vocal about our amen. It just means I'm in agreement with God. What he says, I agree with amen, so be it, let it be so. And I pray that's in each of our hearts that no matter what we feel, whether we're young, old, frail or strong, whatever, that we just saying, God, I put my life into your hands. Because like you mightn't have to run up the mountain or start the kids' club, but you could be the one that just hears God and declares God over Donegadee and that's it. It's game over for the enemy and for unbelief and doubt and fears. And Lord, we just say amen, oh God, to your ways, your will, Lord, to your more. Luke, the other day, Gospel of Luke, we're reading through it. How much more will my Father give you the Holy Spirit? We ask for more, but we ask for the much more, Lord. There's much more than what we've seen. There's much more than what we've read about in history books. There's much more than what we've heard this morning. There's much more because you're the God of the much more. You're the God of the abundance. And I ask, Father, that you would take Donegadee and you would raise it up as a trophy, Lord as a witness to the whole of this island of God, of what God can do with a people who are open and are willing to step out, to step up, to step into the things that God has for them. And I pray over you, I declare and release over you a boldness, a confidence, a confidence in the gospel, a boldness in the Holy Spirit, a, a releasing of power gifts and, and fruit and, and, and harvest this, this next 10 years that you've never seen before. I pray, Lord, that this, you would be a decade of harvest for this church, O oh God, in Jesus' great name, O oh God. In Jesus' great name, I pray over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord does cause his face to shine upon you. And he does lift up his countenance upon you. And he does grant you shalom, healing, peace, wholeness, prosperity. For his name's sake. And all the people said amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find more on your favourite podcast platform or visit our website at www.shorestreet.org.